And my title is going to be, Money is No Object. Now, wouldn't that be awesome that if you could just, you know, a, an ordinary dollar bill, if you could just take it and just all of a sudden turn it from a, uh, who's, on the, who's on the $1 bill? Uh, George Washington. If you could take it and all of a sudden make it a Ben Franklin, make it a $100 bill, that, that would really be cool, wouldn't it? But we know that's impossible to do, so let's make it, turn it back into a $1 bill. How about that? But money's, just, money's just paper and ink. So what's the difference between a George Washington and a Ben Franklin? Well, naturally, it's the things you can buy, right? But it's just a vehicle that's used to pursue dreams and goals and desires. As, fast, as Pastor Farrell preached, everybody wants some of your money. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. I remember as a child growing up before the days of uh, four-wheelers, and uh, golf carts. I remember I wanted a mini bike. I'm like, Dad, I want a mini bike. And he's like, think I'm made out of money? Money don't grow on trees. And I said, Dad, I tell you one thing, when I get older, and if I, if I, if I ever have children, every time they want something, I'm going to buy it for them. I'm going to get it for them. And sure enough, when Jared and Lauren came along, and they wanted things, and they began to want, 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 what do you think I did? I told them, you think I'm made out of money? <laughs> money don't grow on trees. So money doesn't grow on trees. If, if money truly was no object in your life, how would you live your life? What changes would you make in your life, if any? Take out a tithing envelope. Now, this is not a trick because we've already received the offering. I'm, your money's safe with me. But take out a tithing envelope and visualize inside of that envelope is a blank check. And it's a check for each of you. It's a check that you can fill out for whatever amount you want. You can fill it out for your needs, for your desires, for your wants. You women, if you want to fly to Rodeo Drive and go shopping, fill it out. If you want to fly to Paris, France and go shopping, fill it out. You men, if you collect muscle cars and you would like a, to add to your collection a 1968 fully restored GTO Judge, fill it out, buy you one. Or if you would like to buy a bass boat or whatever you, whatever you need, just imagine if money truly was no object in your life. I say to people, if, you, you know, if I were to give you a million dollars, what would you do with it? Would you pay your tithes on a million dollars? And if I were to ask you this morning, would you, you know, by hands, probably every hand would go up, yeah, I'll, I, would, I would pay my tithes on a million dollars. Well, and I thought about that, and I'm like, well, you know, if you can't pay the one cent on the 10 cent, if you can't pay the 10 cent on the dollar, or the dollar on the 10, or the 10 on the 100, or the 100 on the 1,000, or the 1,000 on the 10,000, how are you going to pay the 100,000 on the million? It's something to think about. If, if we can't be faithful, and I'm speaking to myself also, if we can't be faithful in the small things, how are we going to be faithful in the big things? But money and the lack of money and also the love of money can make people do strange things. Really strange things. Money can make a person take a gun and walk in a bank <clears throat> or a convenience store or a liquor store and put a gun in that clerk's face and demand money and, and commit a robbery, all for paper and ink. So it's not just the paper and ink, it's the things that money buy. 
Malachi says in the, in the Old Testament, Malachi asked the question, or God actually asked the question, says, can a man rob God, or will a man rob God? And I thought about that. God here, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universe, asked the question is, can a man rob God? And he answers his own question. He says, absolutely. You can rob me with my tithe and my offerings. Money will make people do other strange things like commit murder, maybe for a life insurance policy or to keep from paying uh, alimony. Money can put people in credit bondage or financial crisis where people want to have certain things and don't have the money to purchase them and really live their entire life in bondage all because of money. Um, money can even cause divorce in many cases. The lack of money or even having too much money will cause strife in a marriage. I heard about a um, man, he, he comes home and he yells, he yells, honey, pack your bags, I won the lottery. And she says, wonderful, should I pack for the beach or the mountains or world travel? What should I pack for? And he says, I don't really care, just pack and get out of here. But this series on King Dynamics that Pastor Farrell has been, has been teaching on is vital to the New Testament church and every born-again believer Pastor Farrell, he really owes it to us from the Word of God. And don't, so, you know, don't get on his case. He doesn't, it's not like he preaches on it every, every Sunday, but it's, it, it's an offering, and he owes it to us on learning how to give an offering unto God from the biblical principle stand, standpoint. A preacher, he boards the bus on a Monday. He pays the driver. The driver gives him his change. That night, the preacher realizes that the driver gave him $5 too much in change. The next day, the preacher boards the same bus, the same driver. He informs the driver, hey, yesterday you gave me too much change. And he, he returns the, the $5. The driver kindly says, oh, no, that was not a mistake at all. You see, I was in your church and heard your message the previous Sunday where you preached on giving, tithes and offering, and you preached on honesty. And I decided to put you to your own test. So can, the question is asked, can we worship with an offering? When you put something in that plate, or when you, in our case, when you put something in that bag, you're literally putting in your sweat. You're putting in your time. You're putting in your abilities. You're putting in your talents where you have earned, earned that money. <clears throat> so actually, you're putting yourself in that plate. Old Testament principle, no one comes to God empty-handed. In fact, Malachi commands that we're to present a sacrifice without blemish, without spot, that's not polluted. We're to present a sacrifice that's our best. And it goes on, he says... God says, you, you, you've brought me a blemished sacrifice or you've brought me a faulty animal and God says, I won't receive it. God says, I don't want it. He said, in fact, I tell you what, do, give it to the governor. He said, I'm the king of kings, I'm the Lord of lords and you're bringing me something that's not your best. He says, give it to the governor. You think the governor will really give you a citizenship of the year award for giving him this junk? And then God goes on and he says some really interesting stuff. He says, not only will I not receive it, God says, I'm going to curse you 
with a curse. Now, when I hear that, I immediately have bells and whistles go off in my head. I'm like, now, wait a minute here. The creator of the universe is telling me that if I bring a blemish sacrifice, he's going to curse me with a curse. And that's what he says. He says he's not going to receive it. And then he says something really strange. He says, in fact, I'll spread dung in your face. Now, I think I know what that means. You need to go home and you need to read the book of Malachi. It's only like four chapters, but it talks about tithing and offering and worship and presenting to God, you know, the offering. In fact, I hereby give you permission to go home and read Malachi. Four chapters. You need to do that today before the fo football game. But no one would come to God empty-handed. And, and visualize this. You would come to God in the Old Testament, and you would, you would enter in His courts with thanksgiving, or enter His gates with thanksgiving. You would come into His courts with praise. You would be thankful unto Him, and you would bless His name. And you would bring your lamb, or you would bring your sacrifice, and you would present it to the priest. The priest would take his hands and run it over that lamb to see if that lamb had a blemish, a bruise, a broken bone, or anything at all to not receive that lamb. When that priest would declare that lamb without fault or spotless, that priest would then place your hand or take your hands and you would place your hands on that lamb. That priest would take out his knife and he would slit that lamb's throat. And you would realize then that sin cost. And what it cost you was the price of a lamb. And it, see, if I had to give a lamb or you had to give a lamb or the cost of a lamb every time I sinned, I would realize how serious sin was and how serious God was when it, when it comes to sin. There's a story in the Old Testament about giving and refusing to give that kind of goes along with this series, Pastor's Teaching. It appears there was a conflict between an employer and employee. Can you relate? <laughs> the players here are David, a man named Nabal, and his wife Abigail. David's a shepherd, or, or was a shepherd at this time. He's, he's not. He was, he was a, ma a man after God's own heart. At this particular time in his life, when, the, when this story takes place, he's already killed Goliath. It's about four or five years later, and he hasn't been anointed king yet, or he hasn't received the kingship yet, but he's been anointed king by Samuel. Saul is still king. So David, he's out in the wilderness of Paran, and he's fighting. He's got these 600 uh, he's got these 600 guerrilla fighters with him. So let's set the stage. And David, he plans to kill his boss. You ever felt like that? Anybody? David and his 600 guerrilla fighters are behind the scenes. They're fighting various tribes in the wilderness of Paran. And they're also protecting these shepherds and these flocks from these wild tribes. Now, according to customs in that day, the, at the time the sheep were sheared, the owner would set aside a portion of the profit to give to those who had protected his shepherds and his flocks while they were out in the fields. Now David and his men had been faithfully watching out for the flocks of Nabal, a man named Nabal. They'd been doing their job, and word reached them that Nabal was shearing the sheep, so it's payday. It's only fair that they receive some. And the problem is, though, that Nabal is a very stingy man, and he don't want to pay up. You know anyone like this? And by the way, Nabal means fool. <clears throat> and understanding the scriptures, the word fool is a person who said there is no God. But Nabal, this man was harsh. He was evil in his dealings. He was dishonest. He was demanding, deceptive, and unfair. So Nabal, we look at his life, and we see an unrighteous man. And Nabal, though, was very, very rich. 
The Hebrew word here for rich is, is translated, it actually means heavy, or in other words, this guy's loaded. Filthy rich. He's got 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. His wife, Abigail, though, however, though, was just the opposite. She's, she's both intelligent, she's beautiful, she's got good understanding and a good form. Abigail was wise. Her decisions made good sense. So Abigail here, unlike her husband Nabal, Abigail is righteous. This is the actual report that came back to Abigail from her husband's employees in 1 Samuel 25, verse 15 and 16. The men, or David's men, were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the time we were with them, tending the sheep. So obviously here, David and his men had done a great job. Now David sends this gracious greeting and a peaceful greeting to Nabal in verse 5 and 6. So David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be unto you, and peace be unto your house, and peace be unto all that you have. In other words, David saying, Shalom, shalom, shalom. Enjoy the goodness of life. May you be prosperous. So David's men do as David says. He, they go to Nabal, they communicate David's greetings, and then they sit and they wait for their pay. But look what happens, verse 10 and 11. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to those men whose origin I don't know? Sounds like a gracious God, don't it? But notice how many times he says, my, my sheep, my shearers, my water, my meat. On and on. So here, here Nabal, he's giving all these excuses for not giving what he owes. It's much like many of us today. I would pay my tithes, but. You don't understand, I would give in this offering, but. It's kind of like the guy that knocks on my door and he says, I want to borrow your lawnmower. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I want to borrow your lawnmower. I said, well, I really would let you borrow my lawnmower, but I'm making soup today. He said, what? I said, yeah, I'm making soup today. So you can't borrow my lawnmower. He said, what, if, what has you got making soup got to do with me borrowing your lawnmower? I said, it don't really have anything to do with it. Just one excuse is as good as the other, and I don't want you borrowing my lawnmower. Now, that's a Mitchell parable. Y'all can laugh, but that's okay. Like this other guy I knew, he drank all the time. He, uh, he was either drinking, he was drunk, or he had a hangover. And I'm like, man, you drink like a fish. You're killing yourself. He said, you don't understand. My wife makes me drink. I said, your wife makes you drink? He said, I, you're, you're what, 250, 225, 6'3"? I said, how big is your wife, 350? He said, no, my wife's 105 pounds. I said, your wife's 105 pounds and you, she makes you drink. What does she do, sit on you, pull your head back, open your mouth and pour it in and make you chug a lug? He's like, you don't understand. My wife makes me drink. He said, you need to meet my wife. And I said, I'd love to. And I met her. And I said, pour me one. That's a Mitchell parable also. We got all these excuses. We can always come up with an excuse. But picture this. David, he's out in the field. He's got the fire going, and he no doubt can taste those lamb chops. And he can taste those shish kebabs that, are, that he's fixing to have, and the onions and the, and the peppers. But David's guys show up, and they're empty-handed. They've got zero. And now here's where everything breaks loose. David here, he's, he's our master model of patience. 
and he gets furious. Man, I mean, he just, he goes, he goes all to pieces. And then in verse 13, it says, And David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 men stayed with the baggage. Anybody not want to pay your tithes now? <laughs> you know, anybody not want to give what you owe now? Picture this. Now, 400 men, and they're, that can probably handle Nabal, don't you think? I mean, it's like... You're killing a roach with a shotgun. Now, David's completely, completely enraged. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, put yourself in Abigail's sandals. Now, this could be her opportunity to get rid of an obnoxious loser of a husband. Now, you women don't get any ideas. But she gets word from her servants that David's fixing to go finish her husband off. Now, here's her chance. Now, after all, Nabal, he sets himself up for this, right? It's time he learned his lesson. But instead of that, observe what happens. Abigail takes on Nabal's role. Women today do that. There are many Christian women now that have to take on their husband's role and give him the offering, give him the tithe, and take on the role that, the husband, that God designed the husband to do. But here she takes on, takes on his role. Now here comes the message from one of the men back to Abigail that David's fixing to go kill her husband and the messengers come to her and not to Nabal because he's, he's wicked. Now here look in verse 18 and 19. Here's what she does. And Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread. Can you smell it? Now you guys are probably, probably already eat, right? You know, coming to the last service. But, but, but us that have been here since 7 this morning, we're hungry. You know, that's, that smells good now. It's like riding by the bakery. You ever ridden by the bakery and just smell that bread? She takes two jugs of wine and five pig cookers. She's got five pig cookers pulled behind those donkeys, but they don't have pig on them. They got roasted lamb. And they're already prepared, and she's got five bushels of corn on the cob, and just the butter's dripping off of it. And she's got five bushels of grain or of rice and gravy. And she's got 100 clusters or 100 cases of uh, little Debbie raisin cakes. Sounds good, doesn't it? And then she's got 200 cases of Nabisco Fig Newtons, the good ones. And she loads them on these donkeys, and she says to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. Now here we're talking probably one of the world's very first catering services, and she doesn't even tell her husband. Some of the very best counsel a man can get can come from his wife. They know what to do, they know when to do it, and they usually do it with, notice I said usually, they usually do it with the right intention. Nabal, he would have never, if she would have told him, he would have never let her go and take that stuff. He would have stopped her. So she acted on his behalf. Now picture this, David, David and his men, they're coming down the hill in full tilt. I mean, their anger, they're, he's fixing to take care of business. Their anger intensifies with each passing mile. And then verse 20 and 23, it says, And it came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. Can you imagine how she felt? So she, she met them, and when Abigail saw David, she hurried and she dismounts from her donkey, and she falls on her face, and she bows herself to the ground. And she fell on her face, and six times, if you'll read the story, she calls herself your maidservant your maidservant. And eight times she calls David, my Lord, my Lord. So here she doesn't try to cover up what Nabal did. She takes responsibility on herself and she says, when you sent those 10 men and they had that interaction with my husband, 
She says, I wasn't there to give another kind of response, but she says, I'm here now as an advocate. What faith she had. And then she says, David, you need to read this story. It's really interesting. She says, David, as I look at you, I'm looking at the next king. Don't you ruin your record with a murder. She says, David, you've been wronged, but murder is not the answer. David, you'll have to live with that the rest of your life, and you don't need to do that. Now that's, I mean, what a speech, what a plea. Nabal's life here is hanging in the balance. And then she goes on in verse 31. She says, when the Lord shall deal well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So Abigail, all she says is, remember your maidservant. When the tide turns in your life, David, that's all I ask. And then David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me this day. Now, what a guy. He's got this sword. It's unsheathed and it's ready to be used. He's fixing to take care of business. And yet, yet he looks at this woman that he's never met before and he listens to her and he changes his entire demeanor and he just drops his sword. And then he adds in verse 33 and 35, And blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. So David received from her hand what she had brought. Abigail brought the offering, and David received it. She brought what her husband should have brought, but she brought it, and, and he said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I've listened to you, and I've granted your request. So, mission accomplished, right? Abigail goes home. Nabal looks at her, realizes what happens. Here's the story, puts his arm around her and says, Honey, thanks. You're a great lady. You're more precious than rubies. You saved my life, right? Not. On the contrary. Look at it. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house. What was he doing? He was feasting with the offering that he should have given. Right? And he was not only feasting with the offering he should have given, but he, did, he was feasting, and his wife wasn't even there. And he didn't even know where she was at. And like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk, so she, so she didn't tell him anything that night or until morning light, but it came about in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal that his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. So here she's standing between her husband and death, and the fool Nabal is so drunk she can't even tell him that night. She has to wait till the next morning. Then she tells him what happens and what was his reaction. The guy has a stroke. I mean, he listened to the story of how 401 guys are fixing to come and cut his head off, and he gets really still, and his eyes become glazed. And 10 days later, the Bible says, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Now listen to David's response when he hears that Nabal's dead. Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and so has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has returned the evil, evil doing of Nabal on his own head. So David's saying, I don't have to fight that, fight that kind of battle. That's God's job. If vengeance is required, David says, it's God's to do. Now David, keep in mind, is the soon coming king, or will soon be king. And get, get, guess what he does when he finds out? He says, he sends a marriage proposal to Abigail, and she accepts. Now Abigail is engaged to a king, as you and I are. We're the bride Christ is the bridegroom, and we're engaged to the king. Here in this story, the greed of finances and of money and of possessions, they took Nabal's life. He took what he owed, at, the offering to David, he took it and he used it for his own self. 
He took the offering for the soon coming king and used it for himself. And see, today or this afternoon, I don't know, I don't know your financial situation. Some of you may be, be, be out of work. Some of you may have taken pay cuts. Some of you may really be, be stressed. I don't know your financial situation, and I don't know your mindset toward giving. I don't know your offering habits. I don't know your attitude toward giving back to God his tithe and his offerings. Or giving back to God and his tithe and his offerings really may be a battle to you. It is in all churches for, for some reason. Some Christians just do not, cannot fight that battle and win it. It may be a battle for you. But it's a battle that you can win, and it's a battle that you must win. And you say, well, Mitchell, I, I really would give, but I'm not, I'm not rich. I really don't have much to give. If I just had more, you see, it doesn't matter in God's eyes how much money you have or what your pay grade is. If you're rich, if you're poor, if you're middle class or blue collar or whatever. There's a story in the uh, New Testament. Jesus is in the temple, and he's standing over across from the treasury. Now visualize this in your mind. He's just, he's just standing there, and he's watching. And he's seeing all these rich people come up. And they're giving out of their abundance. And they're just, and I, can, I can see them maybe shaking their change purse where people will see them and they're like, well, look at me. I've got more than you. Yay for me and, you know, too bad for you. And they're putting all this money in out of their abundance into the treasury. And then Jesus is still standing there and he's looking and he's watching and he sees this, this little widow lady. And she's worshiping out of, out of her out of her, not out of her abundance, but she's worshiping out of her need. And Jesus is watching her, and she comes up, and maybe she's ashamed of what she's putting in because she doesn't want anybody to see it. But she takes it, and she's worshiping, and she puts in two mites, or she puts in two cents. And she's putting two cents now, all she has in the storehouse. And Jesus, Jesus is amazed. I mean, he calls his disciples over here. He says, did you just see what happened? All those rich people just gave out of their abundance, and they were doing it all for a show. And this little widow woman, she, she has $2 in her check, two cents in her checking account, and she writes a check for two cents. Now, you may have only $6.19 in your checking account today. I don't know what you have in your checking account. But if you only have $6.19 in your checking account, that's not going to pay your light bill. It's not going to pay your house payment. It's not going to fill your car up with gas. So what are you stressed about? What are you worried about? Like that woman that gave out of her need, she gave everything she had. Why not trust God? Again, if, as, as the title of the message today is, money is no object. If money truly was no object, at Whitley Church and the bridge, imagine a counter student ministries. Every need that they have would be funded. Imagine mops, mothers of preschoolers. Imagine impact girls and Royal Rangers. The needs that they have financially could be met. Imagine bread of life ministries, those that, that the storehouse would actually be full and that people that are genuinely in need could come to the storehouse, not scammers or, or, or professional hobos, as I call them, but people that are genuinely in need could come to the storehouse 
and receive their need if money was no object. If money was no object, ma imagine a state-of-the-art nursery, a state-of-the-art media room. Imagine a choir room, something our choir has never had. Imagine a choir room with sound baffles, soundproofs, risers, a state-of-the-art PA system where they can record every practice or every rehearsal, state-of-the-art computers and technology. Imagine if money was no object on this grass right out here between the parking lot and, and the building. Imagine a three-story uh, educational facility where we've got all the classrooms and meeting areas that we need if money was no object. Imagine if they having uh, counseling rooms where people could come in and get counseling and get help for their various needs. Imagine also a state-of-the-art coffee shop. Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be cool? Imagine knocking out this wall now. We've got plenty of room here now, but the first and second services are really, are really getting jam-packed. Imagine knocking out of this wall and going up with stadium seating on out and, and now going from seating 575 to ab about 1,200 and not killing Pastor Farrell and the staff by doing five, three services here, including the other two at the bridge, but imagine being able to only maybe do two here on Sunday. Um, and I know how he feels now. I mean, when, after the day, it's like you need an IV, you know? Um, but if money was no object, you could do that. Imagine the souls and the lives that could be changed. Look again, take that, take that envelope. And as I said, this is not a trick. Your money's, your money's okay. You've already given your offering. God saw what you gave. God knows what you gave. But take that offering envelope and look at it a little different this time. This time there's not a blank, blank check in there for you, but instead of only you receiving, you're the reason others receive by you building God's kingdom. Now, the amount inside, this time, God leaves totally up to you. It's your responsibility. He's given you the guidelines to follow, but it's totally up to us what goes in that envelope. Now, when it comes to God's kingdom... Quite, quite uh, bluntly, are you, or does God see you as a Nabal, as an unrighteous person, or does he see you as an Abigail, as a righteous person? I have to, I have to ask myself the same thing. Now, let's talk about Whitley and the bridge just for a minute. Now, visitors, uh, this, we appreciate you coming, and God bless you, but this, this is for regular Whitley Church uh, tenders, this right here con concerns us. Um, visitors, just relax. Um, we don't. We don't need to build. We don't need to build the facility of um, of Whitley Church by barbecue sales and raffles and donut sales, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We need to build the kingdom of, of God by what He's entrusted to us here at Whitley Church. Now, you may agree or disagree, but I don't want to have to buy a case of chickens and donate it to the women's auxiliary, come out on Saturday, cook those chickens, and then that Saturday night buy those same chickens that I just donated back and eat them just so we can pay a light bill. Amen. But currently at Whitley Church, 25 to 30% are the regular givers at Whitley Church. Now what does that mean? That means if, 10, if I had 10 people stand today, two or three of those people are regular tithers and givers. Now, I know this hits home, but when the, seven, when the other 70 or 75% of Whitley Church and the Bridge learn and practice God's laws of giving, money will be no object. I bring to you today good news and bad news. How many want to hear the good news first? 
The good news is that we have enough money currently now to build the building over here, to knock out this wall and go up and expand. We've got, we've got enough money to do that. We've got enough money to fund every single ministry that, is taken, that God has given the vision to of, of the leaders and staff of Whitley Church. We now currently have enough money to fund those. That's the good news. The bad news is that it's still in our pockets. Now think about that just for a second. The first Sunday in October, as Pastor uh, Andy mentioned, October 3rd, we're going we're gonna to give an offering fit for a king. And, and Pastor Andy is coming. I wish everyone would stand. You see, Abigail gave an offering fit for a king, and she also married the king. If everyone would, please stand. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your mercy to us. We praise you for being our king. Father, we don't understand your word at times, but we stand on your word. We know and we realize that you've entrusted it to us, a ministry for some reason that for this area and for this time and for this season. And we pray, Father, that you would show us, that you would lead us and guide us and direct us in the paths that you would have us to choose to do the things even the simple things, to do the things that would get your word out in these last days in which we live, and to do the things that you would have us to do. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.